Welcome to worship in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are called together today to praise God and be glad that we have been gathered here together. People of God, let's lift our voices together with the words of the psalmist. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you.
me as we pray. We confess, Lord, we are afraid that the world is lost and that there is no turning back. Forgive us. We listen to voices that engage our anxiety and which from the living rooms as the unthinkable, the tragic, the morbid are packaged for our viewing pleasure. We feed our souls garbage and wonder why we are sick. Hear our confession, Holy One. Create in us a clean heart. Let us begin again as people who are free to choose the light and to choose life. Forgive the fear that drives us to hate and hide and condemn. We do not want this. We want you, loving Savior, to dwell within, and only then will we walk in Amen. Almighty God, the fountain of wisdom, protector of all who trust in you, you have taught us to keep all your commandments, love you, and our neighbor as ourself. We thank you for the natural majesty and beauty of this land, for our advances in the areas of human life, and for the opportunity to contribute towards sustaining life on earth. We thank you for our minds that think about making good choices, and our hearts to love, and our hands to serve. We also thank you for those disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence upon you alone. Grant us the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may be devoted to you with our whole heart and united with one another in pure affection. Give us courage to live in freedom through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, knowing that our sins are forgiven. Christ be with you. As we greet one another, children fifth grade and younger may meet their Sunday school leaders at the back of the sanctuary. Sixth grade and older are to gather in the youth room. Let us greet each other with a sign of peace and affection.
Y'all got finished before we did. <laughs> I would like to take just a moment to welcome our very special summer choir. Wow. <laughs> I was actually, actually going to invite any of you who want to join them, but there's really not any more seats. <laughs> oh, you'll make more? Okay. Okay, they're able to put up more chairs, so next week, let's see, everybody up here, and maybe a few people out there, I don't know, but it's a fantastic choir, and we are so happy. Aren't we just the, aren't we just the most blessed people when it comes to music? We, are, we really are. I'd like to take a, a few moments to make you aware of some of the things that are happening in the life of our church. We have an, a, an event coming up that's called Christmas in July. And it's time to clean out the closet because each year we help one of our mission partners with stocking their thrift stores. So we invite you to bring your gently used treasures of clothing and furniture and small appliances and all kinds of stuff. Bring that on July 23rd. So July 23rd, we'll collect all of that and we will absolutely fill one of our mission partners' uh, thrift stores. So please be sure and do that. Next Wednesday, July 12th, men are in for a big treat. Jack Baca, you remember him. <laughs> this is in case he's watching. He will lead our men's Bible study and discussion next uh, Wednesday morning at 6.30 a.m. at the Loma Santa Fe Country Club where the men are holding their Bible study. So be sure and join him. He's going to be talking about the scripture that he'll be using for the next sermon. So that's next Wednesday morning at 6.30, Loma Santa Fe Country Club. Be sure and join them for that. And also, I'd like to let you know that we have some really great Bible studies going on here at the church during the year. We have Wednesday mornings, men and women's. We have Tuesday afternoon, <coughs> afternoon and evening, Kingdom Academy. We have Wednesdays around this time. We have a, 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 usually we don't see this guy over here. He's usually teaching. So we're glad to have you for the summer. But he's teaching during the year usually. And we have another Bible study that we'd like to add just for a variety and also for, um, uh, for your interest. And Laura Metzger will be joining us in September and leading us through a year-long course on exploring how God has been with his people through the ages. So we'll look at major themes in the Bible of salvation, and we'll see where uh, that Bible study leads us. It'll be a hybrid of in-person and Zoom, so there's lots of opportunities, and I encourage you to make use of those. It's wonderful to be together in worship, and it's wonderful to honestly understand that God loves us deeply. And so with that love in mind, let's turn our hearts and continue to worship God.
Let us continue our prayers. Dear Lord, mercifully receive these prayers of petition from your people who call upon you. Increase and multiply your mercy upon us. Humble us to recognize our own limitations. Forgive these weaknesses. Grant us in all our doubts, fears, anxieties, and uncertainties to ask, what would you have us do? That your wisdom will save us from all bad choices. That in your light we will see light that we know and understand what things we ought to do by faith through your grace and power. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, our ever-present inspiration and solace, who taught us to say when we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue to worship to worship God, offering our gifts and tithes at this time.
A reading from the book of Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds, its garment and thick darkness, its swaddling cloth, and prescribed bounds for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stopped. And now a reading from the Gospel of Mark. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And waking up, he rebuked the wind and the sea, and said to the sea, Be silent, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of the Lord. When my son Matt was seven, he began having what is known as night terrors. I'm pretty sure that description came from what the person witnessing it experienced, not from the person having it. And for those of you who have never seen it or know nothing about night terrors, let me give you a little anatomy lesson. It usually starts off at about 1.45 a.m., right when you're in the deepest part of your, uh, you could possibly be in sleep. Then you hear your child screaming bloody murder at the top of their lungs. After restarting your heart, you jump out of bed and you catch your toe on some piece of furniture. <laughs> and then you stumble with a broken toe drunkenly into their room. In my case, I became Laura Croft, female adventurer, as I navigated the obstacle course that had been set up by my seven-year-old son, evading the dreaded sea of Legos, the fort made from stuffed animals, and the caged lizard that had been brought close to his bed because Waldo was lonely. <laughs> and finally, you reach them. 
And they are sitting bolt upright in bed, eyes wide open, screaming at the top of their lungs, staring at some unseen horror that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up, and you're afraid that the next words out of their mouths will be, I see dead people. <laughs> they say it's not good to awaken them, so you wait. Your heart pounding, holding them, and then they simply stop screaming. They, they lay down, they go back to sleep, and they never remember that it even happened. You, however, are up for the rest of the night on the PTSD hotline, <laughs> begging for an intervention. When I finally made it to Matt's room on those few humid summer nights when he was seven and having night terrors, I would scoop him up and I would push back his sweaty hair from his forehead, and I would rock him gently and hold him close, and, and I would whisper in his ear what a thousand mothers have said over since the beginning of time. Hush now, there's nothing to be afraid of. But the reality is, I was not being truthful with my son. Is there really nothing to be afraid of? Fear is a visceral response. Fear, the visceral response that, the, that those who were in the boat with Jesus had, those terrified disciples in a frail, human-made, I might add, carved-together, put-together boat in a storm-tossed sea having their own version of night terrors. It's fear, fear that resonates both in our individual lives and in our lives together simply as humans. We're afraid of the wind and waves that assail our fragile vessels, our lives, our faith community, our cities, our nations, just our individual human beings. We fear disapproval and rejection and failure. And to be honest, we do fear death. Sometimes it's not our own. Sometimes we fear the death of someone we love or the death of a cherished dream. They do not, at least on their own, we have great fears. Fear is confronted in this story. That's the interesting thing. Fear is confronted in this story in a way that we don't expect. Because to be honest with you, the disciples never themselves pull themselves together. They're afraid throughout. They do not, at least not on their own, discover some inner resource that they have all of a sudden where they're filled with courage and they're able to withstand this great storm. Rather, it is Jesus who calms both of them and the storm with the power of his presence. It's who Jesus is and it's the power that he wields with a word. It's the same power that called all creation into being, that called the, the night, pulled back that curtain and called the morning into day and sang the birds into the sky. And, and all that happened is that same voice declared it was good. And now that voice is thundering. Be still and calm down. Why are you afraid? Have you not heard a single thing I've said? 
Do you still not know who I am? But I want you to understand something in this scripture. This is not a chastisement to us, the reader. This is not a chastisement by the scripture to be courageous beyond our abilities or in my mother's words that she used quite often with me, pull yourself up by your bootstrap. A, I didn't know what a bootstrap was. <laughs> B, I couldn't find my boots. But my mom liked to say that. Pull yourself up. Get yourself together. This is not a chastisement for us to do that. This scripture is a reminder of who we are sailing with. Who the reality is of who is in that boat with us. We are compelled to turn again to the Lord of wind and wave, the one that we declare in song, in prayer, in scripture, in sermon, that we declare we trust to be more powerful than both the violent sea storms and the storms that rage in our lives. I think it's important to note that unlike my words of comfort to Matt, nothing to be afraid of, Jesus never says those words. He never says there's nothing to be afraid of. The Galilean storm was doubtless fearsome, as are the winds and waves that threaten us. But rather, Jesus asked this question, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? In other words, do you know who I am? Although we often confuse them, saying there's nothing to be afraid of is a very different thing from saying don't be afraid. The hard truth is that fearsome things are very real. Isolation and pain and illness and meaninglessness, rejection, losing your job, money problems, failure, injustice, tragedy, all of these things are fearsome. And as we grow in faith, hopefully, we begin to understand that even though such fearsome things do exist in the world, and we will face them, they do not have the last word. That's the hope that we cling to. They do not have the ultimate power over us because reigning over this fearsome world Reigning over this fearsome world is a God whose light is greater than darkness, whose mercy and compassion are greater than any evil that the world can possibly throw out, whose love and comfort can bear and heal the broken heart, the broken spirit, and the broken mind. Time and again, Scripture tells us, do not be afraid. You'll see it over and over again. It, it, you might say the first and the last word of the gospel. It's the word that the angels speak to those who are sitting on a hillside, keeping watch. Don't be afraid, they say. And the word spoken at the tomb when the angel encounters the women who are looking into an empty tomb and says, don't be afraid. And to the disciples cowering in the upper room, Jesus appears and, and, and says, basically, didn't I tell you this was going to happen? Don't be afraid. 
Not because there are no fearsome things on the sea of our days, because there are. Not because there are no storms or fierce winds or waves, but rather because God is with us. We are not alone in that boat. And Paul puts it another way. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything. What? That is a big statement. That's a tall order. He writes this to the Philippian church. Paul, who is evidently in prison at the time and has every good reason in the world to be anxious about everything. But in everything, Paul says, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How can he say these things? Has he heard this still voice? Don't be afraid. Calm down. Be still. He does not deny that the worst things will happen, finally, to all of us. Do you know that we will all experience our worst moment? We will all have a worst moment. I can remember when I was, when I was in chaplain training, and I can remember the, the chaplain who was training us in, to be in the trauma room said, you are going to be with people who are in the worst moment of their life. What a daunting thing that was. What a privilege. But we all have a worst moment. We know that it will happen. He doesn't deny that the worst moment will happen. We'll all experience it. As indeed, I think he had a strong suspicion that some of his worst moments were about to happen as well. He doesn't try to minimize them. He doesn't try to explain them away as God's will or God's judgment or, or somehow God's method of testing our spiritual fiber. He doesn't do any of those things. He simply tells the Philippians that in spite of them, even in the thick of them, they are to keep in constant touch with the one who unimaginably transcends the worst moment in the same way that he unimaginably transcends even the best moment. In everything, Paul says, they are to keep on praying. Come hell or high water, they are to keep on asking, keep on thanking, keep on Above all, keep on making themselves known to God. Sometimes what we do in our crisis is we armor up. We put all the armor that we can. We pull out all the stops and we back up and we go into a shell so that hurt and pain cannot penetrate. But when we do that, sometimes we will not allow the healing presence of God and that vulnerability that comes with being wide open, we will not allow that to penetrate either. It is a moment of vulnerability that we're being asked to do, to understand who's in that boat with us. He doesn't promise them that as a result that they'll be delivered from the worst things any more than Jesus would delivered from them. What he promises them instead is that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
The worst things will surely happen no matter what. That's to be understood. That's just to be accepted. We're human. There are going to be struggles and suffering. There are going to be our worst times, but beyond all our power to understand, he writes, we will have peace both in heart and in mind. It's so important. It's so important if you don't believe that. It's so important for you to talk to somebody who's in the midst or has been in the midst of that storm and has found that peace who can say to you, yes, yes. We are as sure to be in trouble as the sparks fly upward, but we will also be in Christ, as he puts it. Ultimately, not even sorrow or loss or death can get at us when we're in Christ with him. There was a young Jewish Dutch woman by the name of Eddie Hillesom who wrote these beautiful words, and I give them to you as a gift. God, take me by your hand. I shall follow you dutifully and not resist too much. I shall evade none of the tempests life has in store for me. I shall try to face it all as best I can, but now and then grant me a short respite. I shall never again assume in my innocence that any peace that comes my way will be eternal. I shall accept all the inevitable tumult and struggle. I delight in warmth and security but I shall not rebel if I have to suffer cold, should you so decree. I shall follow you wherever your hand leads me and shall try not to be afraid. I shall try to spread some of my warmth of my genuine love for others wherever I go. I don't want to be anything special. I only want to try to be true to that in me which seeks to fulfill its promise. Eddie wrote this in her diary from the Auschwitz concentration camp. After she had seen her whole family murdered, three weeks before she was killed, how is that possible? How could she write such words? How could she have such hope? How could she still trust God and see such light? How is that possible? You see, she was in a great storm in the middle of a sea of hatred and atrocity. Yet somehow in the middle of that storm, she heard a voice. And she heard that voice saying, be still, be calm, don't be afraid. And just as I learned long ago, as I held Matthew in my lap, I could not honestly say, there's nothing to be afraid of. I, I can't honestly say that. But I had a more bold and a bigger truth to share. I could hold my son in my arms just as Jesus holds us, and I could say, don't be afraid, little one. You're not alone. I'm here with you. The easy part of the truth, which every child figures out sooner or later, is that some things that frighten us are real 
and some things aren't. But the rest of the truth, the deeper truth that only faith in the God who raised Jesus Christ from the grave can teach us is that even though there are real and fearsome things in this life, my friends, here is the truth. They need not paralyze us. They need not control us. And they certainly, certainly do not own us. That is the truth. Because we are not alone in the boat of our lives. And the one who brought all of creation into being with a word and said that it was good now has a word for you. Don't be afraid. Peace I give you. I am with you always. Amen. Please stand as you're able to affirm our faith with these words. God's sovereign love is a mystery beyond the reach of the human mind. Human thought ascribes to God superlatives of power, wisdom, and goodness. But God reveals divine love in Jesus Christ by showing power in the form of a servant, wisdom in the folly of the cross, and goodness in receiving sinful men and women. The power of God's love in Christ to transform the world discloses that the Redeemer is the Lord and Creator who made all things to serve the purpose of God's love. Friends, I'm not sure what Jesus could do to make it any more clear. Any more clear that you are not alone. 
that he is with you, that he loves you, that you need not be afraid. So go into the world as the church. Don't be afraid. Even when fearful things assail you, you are not in that boat alone. May the love of God and the mercy and peace of Jesus Christ and the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit, my friends, be with us now and forever. And all of God's people said together, Amen. Amen.